Well, today we continue on in, in our study in parables, and we're looking at the parable of the tenants in Matthew 21, verses 33 through 44. And I'll read that for us. Matthew 21, starting at verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dung a wide pre- wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent more servants to them, more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take the inheritance. So they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will they do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be, taken away, will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls in the stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. May the God of the word give us insight into his word for us today. We're looking at this one. We're calling it one way. Which way? When you get into the water, you're out at the lake, you go up farther north or in the river or someplace, you get in the water, how do you do it? Let's see a show of hands. Who likes to just kind of slowly ease their way in? Okay, who's the type of, like me, wants to ah, just dive right off and get right in? Okay, a few less of us, but some of us are like that. There's different ways. It's not right or wrong. We may think one way is better than the other, but everyone has their own way of getting in the water. I remember in high school, English, I had a teacher. In the first day of class, he goes, there's two ways to do things in my class, the wrong way and my way. Like, okay, okay, we get the idea. You know, it kind of lays out the expectations of what the teacher wants you to do. The best teachers don't take that sort of in-your-face approach on the first day of class. Not too surprising, he wasn't one of the better teachers in the, in the school. One of the best examples of doing things my way, I think, was the song by Frank Sinatra, I Did Things My Way, a celebration of me, of my way, a clear rejection of any sense of humility and piety before God. Whether you're upfront and blatant about it like Sinatra or much more subtle about it, most of us like to have things, you know, do things our way. But when we really look at it my way, doing it has to be my way, my way, my way, that's really a humanistic manifesto. And what I mean by that is that means celebrating me or humans or, or my thing first to the exclusion and over all others. If we say my way, it doesn't mean we can't have interests and preferences, but when everything in life has to be just my way, we are put ourselves into trouble. And we don't like to hang out with people who it's always about them all the time, do we? We all see it in kids who everything has to be their way. But we also see it in adults in a more sophisticated way. This is not a good relational ethic for anyone. 
whether in any sort of relationship. You know, Jesus speaks to how we do things, in which way we go, and speaks to this issue in his teaching here in the parables. For these parables, he's putting things side by side so we can see from life things we can understand, principles of the kingdom of God, of how God wants us to live, live in his kingdom, live his way. And as Jesus speaks in parables, he helps us understand kingdom principles and kingdom way, the way that the king of the universe, Jesus Christ, wants us to live now and forever. In Matthew 21, the story of the, the tenants in the land is the second parable given after the authority of Jesus was questioned by the religious leaders. For the leaders of the day didn't care for Jesus because he took attention away from them. What they, all these people are paying attention to Jesus. They're no longer listening to us, and they were huffy and mad about it. He showed and displayed power, something they couldn't do. He had star written all over him. He spoke, uh, spoke and taught differently than what they wanted and what their plan was. His message didn't line up with what their hopes and dreams were. He claimed to be somebody from God, and it wasn't preaching the message that they wanted to get out. So they were upset. They were mad about Jesus. So they asked Jesus about his authority. And in it, Jesus tells them this parable and a couple others to put the issue of authority, of leadership, in the context of his teaching and showing that he is the king and his way is the way of God's kingdom, that which God promised in the past, which the Old Testament prophets revealed, the kingdom of God which had come, now is coming through Jesus Christ. But showing us the way to the kingdom is not my way, but God's way. For living in the kingdom of God demands our obedience. Which way? My way or God's way? God's way alone is the way to the kingdom, the dwelling place of God forever. And Jesus tells this story to help us understand that. Let's look at a couple things here in this passage to help us understand. Let's look first at renting or residence. Are, are we renting or do we have permanent residence here? Jesus is speaking about a landowner who planted the vineyard. What does he say in verse 33? Listen to the parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, dug a wine press, built a watchtower, then rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. So we have this landowner who put a lot of effort into it and built this vineyard. Vineyards are fairly high-maintenance land uses, so it's a big change from if this land was a lower usage or it was just kind of raw land. And what does he do? He plants the vines for the grapes. He built a wall around the vineyard, dug a wine press, built a watchtower. The owner was serious about improving the land and invest major time and money into the work. The owner knew the current situation, and the approach to deal with the variables in life, but he wants to put this land in the best position to what? Have a harvest, to have usefulness come out of the land. And it was only through toil, hard work and toil, that this came about. I mean, planting it and doing all he did, building, that takes effort, time, and money. And vineyards often take a couple years to get to the start where the fruit production from the, for the vine, whether it's you know purchasing land, planting, maintaining it, it takes thousands and thousands of dollars. When the owner here went further, he built a tower, a wine press. You know, think about it, water, weeding, pest control, fertilizing, 
staking the vines. It was through significant expense that the, that the owner went through to get everything ready. And because of this, what is the owner thinking? The owner's thinking, we're going to have a harvest. The, we have the, the land, so there'll be a harvest. There will be crops that will benefit and useful for us. So he was confident after all the time and effort of the harvest. And so he rents the land to the tenant farmers to work the vineyard and then goes to another place. And the owner's ob- ob- expectation was a certain amount of produce or funds from their sale. He expects a return on his investment. While the tenant workers, farmers get their share, fair share for the work they've done in the vineyard. And what we have here is Jesus is setting up a parallel between Israel and God with the farmer and the owner of the land, the tenants and the farmers. He's the parallel so that they understand what's going on. And what we have is God's the landowner and his people are the farmers. So in this parable, God's the landowner. He's like the one who planted the land. It was his land. And his people are the farmers who are going to work the land. Israel is the hired farmers who work the land under agreement with God. Isaiah speaks like this in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. Israel is a nation, is dwelling where? Where is Israel dwelling? They're dwelling in the land that God has set aside for Israel. This land of promise that God and Israel agreed to live in, where Israel was a tenant through the first covenant given at Moses at Mount Sinai, and the people agreed. God brought them into the land, and they were to live and be successful and fruitful in it, and they would follow him. It was that agreement, and their charge was living out that agreement, that covenant, first covenant, before they entered the land, where God's God and the people obey him, and God provides. So it sounds good all, all around. God as a landover, and he has his people, Israel, living and being fruitful in what they do. God's done his work. Israel's to carry out their part in the covenantal agreement. And as it's God's land, he's the maker and creator. God owns the land, gives residence to Israel. As we said, he recruited him to be his people. The Lord sets his sight on fruitfulness, productivity, desiring his people to make it happen. You know, the owner, God, has done the difficult work. Israel is to do the work of working the land. And so given their position in the covenant, they can be successful. And all they have to do is follow the agreement or the, the covenant agreement. In other words, be obedient to God. And then everyone succeeds. All are blessed, well-fed, and happy. So it sounds like a good arrangement, good for the tenants, good for the owner. And of course, what happens Israel decides to do something else. That's the last thing that will happen. They decide that they're going to go their own way, do their own thing. And in life, do we think that sometimes we own everything that we have? You know, I mean, when we, we, all, we may have homes or farms or cars and that, but really, do we really own that or do we just have it temporarily? Everything we have, we have for a time. For who is the owner of all things, and the maker and creator, but God? And in this, we need to see that we're stewards of what God gives to us. That the land, the things that we own, this life, the bodies we have, are bought by Christ at a price. So we are his, and God has given to us to live and to live faithfully and blessed. But we are renters in this world. And to think otherwise, if we don't realize that, in a sense, we're renting, we have it temporarily, we're put ourselves in trouble. 
We think this is our permanent forever residence. That's not the way it works. Well, secondly, let's look at remit or rebel. Remit or rebel. Verse 34 and following it talks about this. When the harvest time approached, the owner sends his servants to what? To collect his fruit. As part of the agreement. That was what they agreed. It sounds fair. So the owner sets off on a journey. It's gone for a long time. And when the harvest rolls around, the owner sends his servants to receive his share of the crop as agreed to beforehand. But this is where the story takes a real bizarre twist, doesn't it? Because what happens? The tenants decide they're going to modify the agreement unilaterally <laughs> on their own whim. We have a signed agreement, but we don't care for that. We think we can come up with something better. We're going to do our own thing. And what that is, let's cut the owner out of the agreement. Let's take a different approach with the land. Let's not let the owner have any part of the harvest, and let's take it all to ourselves. Let's do things our way, because our way is way better than his way. We don't care about his investment in the land. We don't care about his purchase of the land. We don't care about the money he's invested in or the agreement we have. Forget the remit, remittance, our agreement. Let's just do things our own way. So the ownership of the harvest, forget it. We're not going to give it to him. We're going to take it ourselves. So they rebel. They cancel. They want to cancel the agreement, take control of the vineyard. So they don't remit what they agreed to, but rebel, ignore the legal document and agreement, and try to hoard the whole crop. They pay, take matters into their own hands and want to do things their own way. And how do they do it? How do they go about doing it? What does it say in verse 35 and 36? It says, The tenant seized the owner's servants. They beat one, killed another, stoned a third. And as the owner sent more servants to them, more than the first time, they treated them the same way. So not only are they trying to hold on to the harvest, they go, anyone who's associated with the owner, we're going to abuse, misuse, and mistreat. At this point in the story, it's hard to have any sympathy for those tenants, isn't it? For the landowner has been fair with them. He hasn't done anything wrong. They've had a fair agreement. But they want to take advantage of him and, and abuse his servants. In other words, they want to say, plain old, I want to do it my way. There's no justification other than their rebellious spirits. He's given them no reason to do this, but the tenants rebel. And what happens? As it, he says, finally, I'll send my son. Don't listen to my son. I'll send my son. He represents me. Last of all, he sent his son, and they said, they'll respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him, threw, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. Just think about that thought process. This is a son. If we get rid of him, this will all be ours. Is in any way that's a logical, reasonable, or good way to think? No, that's craziness. How do they think they can go from one place like that to another? The land is God's. Israel is the tenant. And they have a, a, a covenantal agreement. Israel's failure to fall through in their obedience to the law, to the agreement they have. And when they did that, what did God do? God would send his messengers, the prophets. He would send his prophets to give them insight, give him his word, so that they would listen to him. And if they listened to him, they would be blessed. It's what we see in our Tuesday morning study in Deuteronomy. 
as the people are to go into the land. Here's what God sets forth, and the people says, yes, that's what we want. And the way they find blessing is through the obedience to God. But here Jesus is saying so often Israel chose a different way. They chose their way rather than God's way. And what happened to God's messengers and servants, such as Jeremiah? Servants of the Lord received harsh treatments, not from the enemies necessarily, but from the king's leaders and priests within Israel itself. Isn't that sad? Kill him and take the land. They want to beat and abuse even his own son. The tenant's way, just like they did to the prophets in the Old Testament, Jeremiah and ones like him, they mistreated and took advantage of them because they didn't want to hear what God says. They wanted to just listen to their own way, even though they had this agreement in place. But we have God said, I will send my son, my very son. For what is Jesus doing? He's making it clear what will happen to him as a son of God who is proclaiming God's kingdom and how people should live in relationship with God and what the leaders here will do. They're going to kill Jesus. And as Jesus turns his attention to the Son, his very self, pointing out what soon will happen to him. For he's made it clear that he is the Son of God, as Matthew 16, 16 says, through the transfiguration in chapter 17. Throughout Matthew, the miracles and the powers, as Jesus talks himself as the Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7. He's clearly and forcibly establishing here. He is the King, the Messiah, the Son of God. And he's speaking of what will happen to him by the people, the leaders of Israel. The tenants will rise up and kill Jesus, thinking then that this land, this process will all be theirs and they can do it their way, what they're about. But they find out they're fighting against the very kingdom of God who loved them, who made them, and put them in the land. There's two ways to try to establish the kingdom of God. God's way or my way. And God's way is the only way that can be done. My way is not a way to establishing his kingdom. For our way is a way to become a slave to sin. God's way is the way to obedience. And I think that's something we see in the larger culture, don't we? A society that's heading hard and fast away from God and not into freedom, but into enslavement to sin and trouble and difficulty and heartache and brokenness and isolation because they don't find in Christ what God has for them, the love, the care, the way of the Lord. Heading for the edge of the cliff to disaster. What about our own individual lives? How are we living today? Are we living God's way or are we living our own way? What about your life? How are you living in Christ? Well, thirdly, we want to see release or reclaim. What's going to happen? What's going to happen here in this story? Verses 40 and 41 and, and following says, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those tenants? Jesus poses that question to the hearers, the ones who he's telling the parable to. And what does everyone say in, in unison, basically? He will bring those wretches to wretched end. The people, when they hear the story, said, those people are wretches. They're, they're people have rebelled who are in place that's going to receive judgment. And what will happen? Those wretches will have a wretched end using a, a word play to help them understand what will take place to them. Because of their wickedness, they will be judged. And then what happens? The owner will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop. God, 
who's the owner, isn't going to just roll over and give up his interest in the land that he's invested heavily into by releasing the land to the workers. The owner isn't going to say, oh, well, I tried, and just walk away. No, the owner's going to say, no, this is not right. I need to do what's right. I need to reclaim the land and to punish those tenants for their evil ways. And so the owner will reclaim his land. The owner will get the land back to ensure it gets used in the way that he intended. We don't find the owner burning the land or forgetting about it, for it's not revenge or destruction which is his goal. But what we find is the owner presses on with the harvest because what matters is the harvest. His purpose is the harvest, to see fruitfulness come out of the land, to see goodness develop, to see the blessing that he intends for the people in the land. And in it, we see what God's purpose is. God's purpose is that good would take place in the world among his people. And the way that will happen is through people following him. And God continues on with his plan, whether it's Israel or us today, to what? To bless obedience. And Lord, and to help others find him. The owner, God, presses on with his plan of the harvest. He, he's, if he has to do it in a different way, it's what he will do. And what do we find Jesus saying next here? In verse 42, we see Jesus recounting from the Psalms, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Jesus said, have you not read the scriptures? The cornerstone from Psalm 118. Jesus is saying he's that cornerstone. And even though it's rejected by some, the Lord will establish it and build his church, his kingdom on it. And it's marvelous because it's how the kingdom of God and the blessing that God intends will come to all who trust in him through Jesus Christ and what he's done. And this psalm, looking forward to Jesus, Jesus quotes and helps us realize that it's only as we do things God's way on that cornerstone of God's rock where he builds his church through Jesus Christ. The way of the owner is the only way to go. It's the only one that will work. Any other one will be certain failure. These tenants, what's going to happen to them? They will be judged. Are they going to stand? Are they going to hold on to the land? No, no. They're going to be thrown out of the land. As the people said, they will find a wretched end. And give it to others who will give the owner his share of the crop. In other words, will provide fruitfulness that the land is intended to go. Which way should we go? Jesus is using this parable to help us understand there's several ways that people can go, but there's only one way that works. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. He's speaking to the leaders who are resisting and refusing to do his way and given to a people who will produce its fruit. For those who, are, who follow in obedience will receive the land, the blessing of God, and the life in his kingdom forever. Which way will we go? Which way will you live? Will you do things your way? Oh, your way is so clever and smart. Or will you do things God's way, the way of the Lord? You know, we're all capable of deception, of self-deception, to convince ourselves of the genius of our way and our plans. The tenants would have maybe reflected a little more on this. Maybe the story might have changed. Where do you, in your life, go your own way? Are you disobedient to God in some way, in how you handle money, the manner in which you respond or interact with other people? 
and listening to the scriptures and, and submitting yourself to its, its truth because this is the word of God for us. How we spend our time, how we view our life purposes, what we want or desire in life, our expectation in relationships, whether it be marriage or with children or family or friends, our work, how we treat people, how we invest our time in kingdom building. Do we do it our way or do we listen to God and follow his way? Do we live life on our own terms, the tenant's responses? You know, folks, I think it's really important that we realize that our way, if we do things our way, it's no better than the way of the tenants. And there's no one here who can say, oh, the tenants. Now that was smart thinking. That was a good idea. But you know, if we do things our way, even if it's like clever and shrewd, if we do it our way rather than God's way, we're no better than these tenants here in the story. Because it's God's way that brings the kingdom, that brings the blessing that God intended for your life and mine. God is calling us to obedience, to accept his message, and to live lives where the Spirit produces fruit of his work in our life for the blessing of, of others. God's way is through Jesus Christ, the one who came, who lived, who died, who rose again, whose life, death, and resurrection we'll celebrate in just a few moments. God's way is that we deny ourselves and follow Jesus. It can be harder, but it's far greater. It's purposeful, and it's lasting for all eternity. The owner of the land here is extremely patient and a kind man. He gave the tenants many opportunities. How many people did he send? He sent multiple servants, and he finally sent his son. But there comes a time when he says, that's it, there will be no more. As God did this with Israel and sent them into the Exodus, God will do the same with us if we resist and refuse his way. God will eventually judge those who re reject and refuse to live in obedience to God. It may look good for, for a while, but the end result will be ugly. Our way is no better than the tenant's way. It's the way not of Christ. It's the way of destruction. God's judgment isn't always immediate, but one day it will come. Which way do we live, your way or my way? What will our decision be? How will we live? One path of life says, oh, my way, it's enticing. The other says God's way. Only God's way lives to dwelling in the eternal kingdom of God. Which way will you choose? You know, in uh, the Sinatra song, which I mentioned earlier, one of the verses says this, the song My Way by Frank Sinatra. For what is man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The records show I took my blows and did it my way. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to live like those who kneel. I'm not going to do that. I'm gonna, it's only counts if I did it the way I want. But what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? That we are to be those who kneel before the God who loves us, the God who made us, the God who has our best in mind, that we submit ourselves to him, to say your way is the best way to live, not my way, but your way. Which way will you live? Which way will I live? We enter the kingdom of God by kneeling to him in submission because God alone is the one who can take away our sins and reconcile us and give us hope in a future. John Stott said something I thought was, was tremendous, a Christian author and writer. And he says, 
Greatness in the kingdom of God isn't about fame and fortune. Greatness in the kingdom of God is measured in only one way in the scriptures, in terms of obedience. In terms of obedience, those who submit themselves to God in his way. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Obey him. Which way will you live? Will you live your way or live God's way? Let us be those who live in the way of God and not in the way that these silly, stupid, ridiculous tenants, but those who submit to God and receive his blessing. And God uses us to produce the fruit in the land. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for your grace and mercy. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be those who live your way. Lord, who submit ourselves to the kingdom's ethic, the kingdom's agreement, Lord, so that we can live fully in pleasing you and bear the fruit that you intend for us. Lord, we love you and thank you. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name.